Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 167. This week we talk with Dan Rosanova about Azure Event Grid. And now Cortana is in your echo. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week we have Dan Rosanova, product owner for Microsoft's Microsoft Azure's messaging services. How's it going, Dan? Very well, thank you. Welcome back to the show. You were one of our favorite guests. Well, we'll just say you were a favorite guest. <laughs> all the other, all the other guests are like, "What about me?" Uh, so, Carl, what what else we got going on? Uh, we have a comment of the week this okay. week on. Uh, I think this will be a little bit fun one to talk about. Uh, you had made a comment previously on the on one of our episodes that uh, companies really don't care about you as a person when it comes time to. Uh, uh, downsizing or letting go if they have to do it and it makes business sense, they do it without emotion. Therefore, if you feel that you have a need to, you know, leave your company for whatever, you shouldn't really feel bad, uh, about the situation you may be putting them in. And, uh, we got a conversation, a pretty lengthy one, I think, uh, on Twitter with Alan Mendelovich. Uh, he was a previous guest on the show. Uh, and he is a business owner who has had to let people go. So you guys uh, got into it. Uh, I wouldn't say into it, but you guys had a pretty a civil discussion about it with some pretty good points on each side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that he he kind of challenges this notion, and I think he just has a little bit uh, different experience and different perspective on this. And and actually, since then, I've I uh, it was interesting. I was watching my my kids were they were watching uh, the movie Richie Rich, which is uh, a classic. And uh, <laughs> they there's a there's a, a scene in the movie when the the one the one bad guy he goes, oh, we're you know we need to downsize, and Richie goes. Oh, you mean fire people? And uh, and he's like, well, yeah, that's what that means. And and it was kind of interesting because like that is the distinction, and I, that that sort of is the essence of of what I was trying to say was you know that from the company's perspective, they're like, hey, we need to cut costs, let's downsize. And then of course, at some point, that becomes you know this this human compassion thing, right? Where somebody's like, oh, this really sucks. Like I I don't want to do this, and and like we we understand that part of it. But that was really kind of the point I was trying to make, and in Twitter. Is is never really a great format for this. Um, I don't I don't know if it makes sense to have him come on the show to have a discussion around it. But you know, I I've been in these discussions, and and yes, they are like super difficult. Whenever you're talking about letting people go, I've also been let go, so I, like I've been on on both sides of this. But my point was, at the end of the day, the company survives. You know, they are they are a financial entity. And I mean, he even admitted that he you know has had to let people go. And and sure, like it was difficult. But at the end of the day, like, you know, it, 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 a lot of times comes down to like, we can either exist and, you know, let these people go, which is tough, or we can just not exist, um, or, you know, not fulfill our, our obligations, as shareholders or, or whatever it is. And it, it's just an unfortunate side effect of business. Um, that kind of is what it is. So that, that's what I was trying to say was that the business is, is making a financial decision. You as, as an employee need to make a decision that, that makes sense for your career and for your family. And, and, and that's, that's what I was trying to say there. So I don't know if there's any comments on that. Well, you know, one of the things I think too is it, it's 
there's a lot of different companies out there, a lot of different, you know, people that are in charge of letting people go when this happens. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, you know, what you said is also very true. It's, it's how, when that happens, uh, how do, how does everybody react to it? Uh, you brought up a time where there was a situation where you had to let, uh, people go or potentially do it and you were helping them find jobs as, mm -hmm. as part of that too. So, you know, Granted, not every company or corporation can afford to be as generous as that, but you know that's one of those things that brings the human back into this impersonal decision. The decision wasn't you know made because we like or not like this person, but it was for financial reasons. And there's a way to bring the human back into it to make this a little bit softer of a of, of a fall. So mm -hmm. there's a, there's a lot of different sides to this too. And I think another thing that is different too is you know he is from Europe and we're from the U.S. and there's a lot of different legal aspects to that as well, not only uh, cultural ones, but you know there's a lot of things that go into topics like this. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think it's just a matter of different perspective. And I think at the end of the day, him and I probably agree, it would just be a matter of like sort of parsing this down and breaking it into like the different scenarios and, and discussing it. But, you know, I just love that that he kind of challenged what I what I said. And it was it was great to get that perspective. You know, I mean, other than someone like Dr. Evil, I don't think anyone ever sits there and laughs about having to let people go. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. That. It's, it's right. not a happy situation on any side yeah. of the table. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, as you, as you come down, I mean, I think there's, this sounds kind of bad, but I mean, in a, in a hierarchy, I mean, the closer you get down to the bottom, like you're getting to the, to the real humans. Right. So, I mean, at, there's going to be, you know, a board of directors or even a shareholder, right? Like let's keep, you know, everybody reports to somebody, right? So you get up to this level where you're back up to like, you are a shareholder and guess what? You're saying, make me more money, make me more money. Like the shareholder themselves never says like, don't fire that person. Like, in fact, <laughs> if they had to vote, if they had to vote for money or fire these people, like they would, uh, my guess would be that they would vote to, to fire the people. Unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but that, that is like the system that we have set up. And then as you go back down that hierarchy, then it gets more human. And I was trying to, you know, distinguish between the two. There's, there's an organization, which is a thing you know, which is not human. And then there's the humans involved. And of course the humans uh, care about it. So yeah, uh, I think we can move on though, Carl. Yep. And if you want to get mentioned on the show, like Alan, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. And we really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Now it's time Absolutely. for the news. Yep. Uh, first one here, Xbox Design Lab comes to UK, France, and Germany. Which is really cool. Uh, so... Uh, just a reminder, on our Christmas episode, I got Jason an MS Dev Show uh, customized Xbox controller, and that's really awesome. And that's what this is. It's being able to make this custom Xbox uh, gear. And uh, with it coming to UK, France, and Germany, it actually comes to a ton of other countries because – and I may get this slightly wrong, but uh, because they're all part of the EU, they have that uh, trade agreement. So you can order from one of those uh, 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 local or uh, – affiliates local or <laughs> local or most local uh, yep and uh you can have it delivered to your country so if you don't have okay. uh you know if you're not in one of those but you're in say like spain or lithuania or something like that uh mm -hmm. you can order from one of those and get it delivered to you so that is really cool okay i do recommend the ms dev show theme yes and it's <laughs> out there so you can actually search for ms dev show on there and uh find it Oh, that's right. That's cool. That's very cool. Okay. How JavaScript works inside the V8 engine, five tips on how to write optimized code. 
Yeah, so this was, and we're not going to go through this because this was pretty no. lengthy, but this was really cool showing and you know, reminding you that uh, what has to go on to have your your dynamic uh, JavaScript get uh, parsed into this uh, essentially C++ written uh, compiler. And one of the things I thought was interesting was when you have a JavaScript object that you're newing up, there's hidden classes that get generated on the fly. And when you do stuff like adding dynamic properties, it's actually creating new classes that are based on the previous ones. So right. if you have, they, they give an example of a point, and if you're initializing that with an X and a Y property, in the constructor, it'll make this, you know, behind the scenes, a hidden class. And when you add like another property, let's just say you add an A property. So, mm -hmm. you know, point.a, that's actually creating a new one. And then if you add a B, that's yet another new class. And the really goofy thing is later on, if you try to do that again, but you like uh, set those dynamic properties in a different order, it'll actually make a different point class that has B first and then A. So if you do them in the same order, it kind of reuses those hidden objects behind the scenes. And that's something that I never put any thought to. And yeah. it could potentially uh, save a lot of memory behind the scenes. And it's all because of this inline caching that it does. Mm -hmm. And I like that they actually have some, some, suggestions here for writing optimized javascript like you said the order of the objects make sure that's always the same um and then around methods uh you know if you can have a smaller number of methods and, and execute the same one repeatedly it's going to run faster than than many different methods only once now obviously you know you you don't want to take this and make make your code unreadable for this you know like one percent performance increase uh but it's kind of good to know how this stuff is is, is running under the hood and dan's probably like one percent that's pretty good <laughs> 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 yeah at, at dan scale the, the the world changes a little bit um and then also i talked about uh arrays so if you have a sparse array you know we're using uh um, keys that are not sequential numbers, uh, then it switches to a hash table, you know, so that kind of stuff, uh, is, is good to know what's actually happening under the scenes. Like in JavaScript, it seems like magic, like, Oh, I can just put, I can put, you know, zero, and then I can put foo as my next number. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even though it's a string and, and JavaScript's like, yep, I'm cool with that. Uh, but those are the kinds of things that, that can really, uh, slow things down if you're if you're doing that um, repeatedly or you know especially if you're building a framework that you know like angular where it's trying to do like this um, insanely fast monitoring or change updates or, or those types of things uh, should we move on from that one so we'll have that in the show notes uh, so you can read that one expanding onedrive version history to support all file types yeah this one has had annoyed me in the past because um, like if you update uh, any kind of office document or even like common things like uh, a JPEG or something you mm -hmm. could actually go into the uh, the cloud version and look and see all the the history all the previous versions that there were but if you're working with like something like a PDF or a CAD file or you know anything pri proprietary or unique uh, you only got what was what you last saved and mm -hmm. now it doesn't matter what file it is uh, OneDrive will version uh, support or give that version history support to all file types so I think this is really cool as a user of OneDrive seems obvious but I like it <laughs> uh, Microsoft and Amazon partner to integrate Alexa and Cortana digital assistants woohoo yeah, th this sounds interesting. I didn't really get to some of the details of this, but I heard people talking about stuff like, hey, Cortana, ask Alexa to do this. And that just sounds really clunky. Well, they said they said that that was kind of the first draft of it. 
Yeah, but even um, still, that's yeah. that that's a rough first draft. Yeah, and then they integrate Siri, so it's like, hey, Cortana, ask you know, ask uh, Siri to ask Alexa. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That, that whole thing is just a, a major problem anyway. I, I've talked on the show many times where we need some kind of dispatcher that understands which bot you want to talk to. So you can, yeah. you can just ask a question, Hey, what is the weather today? And if I replace like the default weather thing, it'll say, Hey, I know how to answer that. And it'll just answer that question. Um, so I wonder if it's, if, if that type of, fe- I have no inside knowledge here. I, you know, I don't know if that kind of feature is on the way and then that's how they kind of clean this up. Uh, but that feature would have to be on the Alexa side and Cortana and, and all that good stuff. Well, one um, thing I think that's interesting about yeah. that is that we think of Cortana and Alexa as like things, but they're really big collections of complex programs anyway. So right. <laughs> what's the difference between them running in different places? And, you know, we're the center of that universe, not yeah. the not the programs. So this is kind of a cool, hopefully cool first step to, to breaking yeah. down those really artificial barriers that we've just placed as corporations between them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and like you said, you know, we have all these different kind of assistants, but they're really, even as complex as they are, they really have their, their strengths and their weaknesses. It would be really nice to be able to just kind of go out into the ether and say, you know, order me this. And it then Alexa knows to kick in or, Hey, what do I have next on my calendar? And then Cortana picks that up and not having to make that context switch. It's what comes after this first step that becomes interesting. Yeah. Well, Alexa just has better hardware these days, right? I mean, well, they have hardware. <laughs> uh, so the Cortana hardware is coming and like, it's, you know, really amazing. Uh, but, you know, I don't know what the timing is on that. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. So having this be more pervasive is great. And then the fact that Alexa now is in cars, like I'm wondering if that's going to enable Cortana. Um, it's great because it seems like it, it seems like both companies and, and I'll exclude Apple from this conversation. Both companies are super open about this. You know, Amazon is like, Hey, we can sell, uh, we can sell hardware. We can sell services, you know, like they know that there's a whole bunch of stuff that they can sell around it. Uh, same with Microsoft, like, Hey, we just want this to work with your stuff and help you out and, um, you know, help make all these different pieces of the technology work together. Well, um, so it feels like everybody is sort of on the same page as far as their goals. And it, it seems like one of these things where, you know, rising tide lift lifts all boats. Um, and then Siri is just, I don't know, the, the stranded carcass somewhere. I don't, I don't know. Siri, it, it, it works good for like five things and you know, it's just, it's challenging for everything else. And, and we know that Apple, you know, I would be shocked if they ever decided to integrate with everybody else. Um, even if it's the, the right thing to do. Um, so this is great because this just makes it far more likely to use either service. And it makes me far more likely to actually, you know, I might actually go buy, uh, Amazon echo now, uh, cause I've seen him for a hundred bucks now a couple of times, uh, for the big one. Um, and knowing that I can use Cortana on it, that's actually what I was waiting for. I was waiting for some Cortana devices. So I, I think I've even like seen the dot much. for like 30, 35 bucks. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. 35 just, bucks. Just use your own speaker. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's move on to the good stuff. The good stuff is event grid. <laughs> so recently, uh, Dan dropped event grid on the world and made the world a better place. So we're super excited to be talking to you, Dan. So what is event grid? Yeah, great question. So event grid <laughs> is, is, a is a eventing service for, uh, really building reactive programs, sort of a new style or old new style, perhaps, uh, of, of way to structure and develop software for the cloud. 
Okay. So, you know, I heard you give a talk recently to a, a group of people and you said that this was in, in that, that this was, has been in development for a long time. And I really don't see anything like this in the other cloud providers out there. How did you know something like this it was needed, you know, for developers? Well, uh, from a, from being in a heavy in a messaging background, I, I knew that we wanted something that had different characteristics that was really more push and notification, more event-based, really something that power uh, reactive programming. What I didn't quite see myself was how big and necessary this really was. It really was the product of, although our development time wasn't that long, the planning, the design, all the other stuff was actually quite long. And it was the product of some very, very involved discussions here in Azure about where this would go and what it would be that ended up with something awesome. And I mean, it went to very, very senior levels in, in Azure's technical leadership about, well, well, how do we make this not just some kind of cool uh, messaging service, but some eventing fabric that's, you know, spans not just our whole cloud, but other clouds too. Uh, so um, I guess I just was lucky and fell into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so when you say, when you say that this is like, you know, reactive, does, so does that mean push instead of pull? Is that, is that also fair to say? Yeah, that's certainly the core of it. It's how it's designed to work. We are delivering uh, a more traditional uh, queue type destinations for it. But the idea here is when you're building things now, don't think about putting a queue in between. Don't think about, well, I push something here and then I do some polling over there to get it. Just think about structuring your, your software in a way where you're going to have stuff that reacts to events as they happen. So instead of uh, the model of like a centralized orchestrator, you can really just do reactive development kind of, I mean, like like people have done in UIs for, for a long time, which is a paradigm that works really well for the UI. And, and it, it works really well at a bigger scale too. It's just, we have, for some reason... It seems obvious now looking back on it, we just right. haven't, we haven't done yet. Yeah. So, so we, we now have high definition TV and you're like, why, how did anybody ever watch standard definition TV? <laughs> <laughs> so since this does really closely modify, um, uh, emulate what has been uh, common practice in like WPF and Win32 apps as a whole, do you think that some of those developers who haven't made that switch to the cloud, this will be a pattern that's a lot easier for them to grab a hold of than some of the previous uh, cloud patterns that we've had? Uh, yeah, I think it will. Uh, what we're trying very hard to make sure that happens, though, is that we don't get in your way as you're doing it. Um, from, from working in messaging as long as I have, I've concluded that the most successful style for messaging is when you just don't see it. When it looks like magic, it just happens. Mm -hmm. uh, so the closer we get to that, the better. But yeah, when you get to the mindset, I actually had a really good conversation with some uh, cloud developer advocates here at Microsoft, and they were node people. And we were kind of talking past each other for a little while. And then we just started talking about, wait, wait, think about how this already works for the development you do in node. And it just clicked immediately. And I was like, okay, well, my, my work here is done. Now I have to figure <laughs> out how to make that a better conversation. That's actually a really good point because, you know, it's funny a, a couple of years ago and, and you'll, you'll probably hate me for this, but a couple of years ago, I was, I was like really like anti Q, you know, this was before things like event hub, right. And it was, it was always like, Hey, you know, if you throw a Q in here, you can decouple these things. And it's like, I have enough, you know, I have enough processing power and blah, blah, at least for the, the systems that I was working on. I'm like, that's just going to make things more complicated. I'm just going to have a call into B 
and I'm going to call it a day. And I, I was just always against it. And it's like, no, no, let me show you this hour long presentation on why cues are great. And it's like, no, I just, I don't need cues in my life. And then, and then, you know, I was, I was at Microsoft and, and especially around, you know, around service bus and then eventually event hubs. And it's like, Hey, we can automatically read from here. We'll push this data over here, automatically decoupled. We'll hold on to this data for you. And I'm like, Whoa. Okay. So I get all this stuff, you know, for very little cost and I'm not, I'm talking developer costs, not even money, although it's pretty inexpensive as well. And it's like, it's like all upside. So, I mean, that makes, that makes messaging accessible and useful to everybody in my mind. So, I mean, everybody should be looking at this type of technology. Uh, I think so. And I think especially though, as you get more towards the cloud, more towards modern applications today are much more distributed than they ever were in the past. Right. And when you weren't in a big distributed environment, you could live pretty well without messaging. And unless you were in some edge cases like financial transactions, uh, you know, really deep business state trans- transition stuff. Uh, but but now that world's kind of gone. I mean, even in a single application, you might be using several cloud services and they might be from several cloud providers in the same mobile app. And, uh, you know, it's just a different world. Yeah. So you tout, uh, you know, I've seen event grid touted, event grid touted as uh, serverless uh, friendly. Uh, so like, what does that mean? What, what makes it serverless friendly? Yeah. You know, uh, serverless is a funny, funny thing. Cause we're still in the very early days of serverless. I think um, actually uh, the analysts, people much smarter than me uh, have said that for a few years now is in my mind, we're in like the DOS five days of, mm-hmm. of serverless. Uh, we're waiting for the good stuff to start. And uh I guess how this really fits so well with serverless is what we have across quite a few cloud providers now. So you have a good sort of execution environment. You have a way to say, run this piece of code uh, when when I want to, when something happens. But what we haven't had is how to say when something happens. Mm-hmm. Like different different vendors have, or cloud providers have come up with ways to hook and trigger into a few things, or you end up doing a lot of polling or a lot of manual, hey, I'm going to just call this myself. Um, and what we're missing is how do you get, so we have the event handlers, meaning the execution. We don't have the thing you, the delegates that you latch onto. So yeah. this gets back to that UX paradigm that we've had in, in operating systems for a long time. And you need both to be useful. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial, and if you get stuck... Message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. And remember, if you are a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Expose.net, a powerful toolkit for working with Word documents in your applications. I, I'm still wrapping my head around uh, like what makes this different than all of the other uh, messaging services there are. I get that you know it's event driven, but what what else is there to this, or is that simply it? Well, actually, can can I can I make a quick comment? Um, I'm I'm wondering too. Maybe maybe you can sort of build this in your answer. I'm wondering too, like the existing messaging technologies, like they they sort of appear to be magic as well. But I'm wondering I'm wondering if that's because you've done a whole bunch of work to do that. Uh, yes, I'm I'm glad <laughs> okay. to hear you say they appear magic. They're not. Um, they're, <laughs> and Lots it of has been a, Yeah, and there's been a lot of long hard work to get there, but they're not as 
simple as they could be is what I would say. And really, when you start to get to, uh, to, to complex distributed stuff, simple is not just important, it's absolutely critical or you'll fail. And uh, how this is a little different is that, yeah, eventing is quite different, actually. It's, it's a very, it is a subset of the messaging space, but it's, it's one that's not been well addressed because the, the other types of services we have are traditional queuing services or enterprise messaging services, things like Service Bus or uh, Tibco or IBM MQ type stuff, where you're really focusing on business state transitions. So you want transactions, you want temporal control, like do this in this much time or let me know. You know, and you, you want all of these complex things like strict ordering uh, that are really made to make your life doing a certain type of work, which is usually e-commerce or financial transaction type work easier. Uh, but that's only a small piece. Like if you look at an e-commerce app, that's a small piece of the e-commerce app is when you check out. Uh, a much bigger piece is the browsing experience, the shopping experience, the fulfillment experience. There's, there are all these other things. So we have a pretty good cover for this enterprise messaging stuff with Service Bus. Other vendors make pretty good messaging stuff too. Um, I think the world with Kafka and Event Hubs has really kind of caught up to the telemetry aspect of messaging mm-hmm. of, hey, just give me a place where I can throw all this data. I can replay it as much as I want. I can have it be in order. Uh, you know, So it's a different type of control and a different type of scale. And what we just haven't gotten to yet is give me something that will scale indefinitely that takes away the things I probably don't need, like ordering, um, and that gives me amazing reliability and, and low latency so that I can actually make stuff happen quick enough that humans don't really notice that you're spanning across apps or clouds or something like that. Uh, and, and part of that, though, means that Grid isn't really made for, events aren't really made for doing the work themselves. They're not made to contain like the full body payload necessarily. It's more of a shoulder tap to say, hey, there's something here you're probably interested in. And what makes this more interesting than, than the other messaging stuff we have today is that it's so lightweight to express your intent in some messages that you can subscribe with a filter to say, well, I'm really only interested in these types of things. Like, no, nah, I don't want all events. I don't want to drink from the, you know, from the fire hose. I just want this little pipe that comes to, to my app that I'm concerned about. So with what you just said, you said that like if there's an event that comes in, let's just say it does have some sort of value on it. I could say that like, you know, I only want to listen to events that come in that have values beyond a certain threshold. So I could just receive a subset of the events on a certain channel. You can. Uh, the easiest way to think about it is our, our prefix matching uh, is ba- our, our matching. Our, our subscription model is built on prefixes right now. So if you're looking at Azure, those tend to be um, their arm arm paths, really. Okay. So you can say, okay, what is the arm path of the stuff I'm interested in? Um, and that would be your topic. And then within that, you get so, so like a, a topic could be your storage account. And it would be the, the arm path of your storage account. And then within that, you would have containers and blobs and things that are making events. And that's your subject. And you can subscribe to these two things to say, okay, give me everything in this storage account. Give me uh, everything in this uh, container. Give me things that start with whatever. We, we do allow ends with type stuff. Um, as well. And then uh, you can say, just give me these things that I'm interested in. If you're making like custom topics, like for your own application, you could actually use a pretty common pattern would be to use the same taxonomy that people have built for REST APIs to expose that as what events you're interested in. You can climb that, you know, from the idea of the specific order to the store, to the region, to whatever, however you've structured your, your REST API. 
Uh, so that same type of model would work. Yeah, this this whole paradigm really is reminding me of like desktop applications, right? Because you say, I have a button and I want to subscribe to OnClick. And the infrastructure in that, in that, you know, desktop application is obviously super lightweight. And when I click a button, I, I get an event and then I can run some code in a response to that. And that sounds like that really transfers over. But in Azure, it would be like, um, Hey, tell me when a, when a new blob is, is put into this, uh, storage container. And then I get a message saying, Hey, you know, you wanted, you wanted me to tell you when that happened, you know, on click occurred uh, basically, yeah. um, is what's going on. So that, that's, that's a pretty cool way of thinking about it. Um, and then is there, is is there a way that I can trigger these things? Like, you know, if I have an application, and I want to trigger my own events. Can I do that? Yeah, we, we actually call those uh, custom topics. So it, in Grid, really all of the Azure services are going to be, and some of them already are, uh, publishers that you can go to and ask for information. Ask for, you know, say, I'm interested in these things. We're using the exact same infrastructure to give you the way to make your own topics, your own sources of events that other people can subscribe to. Uh, so you do the exact same thing, except this time you actually have to create the topic first. The topic gets you a fully qualified domain name. It's behind a traffic manager already, so you don't have to worry about scale or anything like that. If we need more, we'll, we'll add more. And uh, you just do HTTP post to your topic. Now, you do have to set in a few pieces of information. You have to give us um, a, a element in it called data, which is whatever you want. It's JSON. As long as it's valid JSON, you're good. And you do have to tell us a subject. So this would be the thing people want to route on or subscribe to. And that can be an empty string, but an empty string is a value. So uh, not that the, that's, not a very use, that's not a very useful value, but you, I, you could do it. Uh, so, uh, and then an event type is another. It's just a string. Put in whatever you want and you make them up. Uh, what we actually have in Azure is a catalog of all of the events that are available for every resource provider <clears throat> and then the schema for those. And we're working on right now is giving that same type of catalog capability to custom topics. So when you create your topic, your users can then go see, well, Dan's topic supports these four events and the events look like this. And so you can get code tool, you know, tooling support and, and stuff that we kind of take for granted with things like Lodge Gaps uh, out of the box. So you're building the nervous system for the for Azure. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So what kind of services, uh, Azure services already work with event? Uh, grids right now? Yes. Yeah, so the first thing uh, that we got on was actually the uh, resource manager. So the, the part of Azure that actually does all of your resource provisioning, uh, and that is available today. So it publishes all of the resource events for your subscription, your Azure subscription. You can, you can hook onto it either at a subscription wide level or a resource group level. So you can say, okay, tell me every time someone creates a VM, you know, or Tell me sometime, every time someone creates a storage account. Uh, or just tell me if people change something in this resource group. Uh, so uh, ARM is there. Uh, Event Hubs is there with the capture feature, which is interesting because the capture feature in Event Hub is really a way to take that fast-moving stream of data that is your Event Hub and, and put a window on it and say, rather than me reading this in real time all the time, I want a time and size window, and then I want you to drop files in that time and size threshold to a storage account that I own. And that works with either blob storage or uh, ADLS, a data lake store, sorry. And uh, then you can go process that data however you want because the world is still very much a batch-driven place. Um, I think my, my last paycheck will be processed by some sort of batch system and probably my death certificate. But, um, <laughs> but uh, this way we're giving you an event to say, rather than looking in storage all the time and saying, 
okay, what's there that's new or what's new in the last hour, you can just subscribe and say, tell me whenever you do one of these capture events. And more interesting than getting a notification just from storage itself, which could also work, you can get a notification from Event Hubs, which says which partition it's for, uh, how many events are in there, what's the oldest and the newest event, uh, what size it is. And that way, when you receive that notification, you can make some decisions about, well, what do I really need to process this? So what is it? How big is it? You know, how much compute am I really going to need to deal with this? Is this a 10 kilobyte file or is this a five gigabyte file? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's pretty cool for that. And then storage is there. Blob storage is there now um, today. So you can subscribe on Blob storage accounts uh, for for. I think it's create and delete operations. Okay. I'm trying to modify my brain now to like identify situations where event grid makes sense. And I was just thinking uh, when you mentioned the resource provider and the events coming from that, I was thinking about the Azure portal. So whenever I go in there and I say, you know, give me a new virtual machine, um, eventually like there's a little notification says that the creation is complete. So if I was, if I was building my own portal, um, I assume what I would do is I would subscribe to all of the resource manager events and then I would receive that event on the server side. And then they're probably using like SignalR or, or some similar technology. And then you could push that And And what's great is it's pushed the whole way through, right? So the resource manager, the, the second that VM is done, it pushes that notification, goes to the server, the, the server immediately pushes to, you know, SignalR, which pushes that right to the client. Um, that is that, is that how I would build that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's very cool. I mean, that's just, that's the way the application should work. I mean, right now there seems to be a little bit of a lag. Like, you know, sometimes I'll hit refresh, I'll get impatient. Um, So I'm assuming right now there's some polling, but it it seems like there's some great opportunities to have um, some of these applications re-architected to to perform even better. That's uh, underway already. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going to add that. I, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I actually, I honestly didn't know, but that, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So I, I'm just trying to think of how similar this is to the event system that I'm aware of on, on desktop. So can I have a uh, raise kind of a, a single event and have multiple uh, services consume that uh, event? Absolutely. And the thing to keep in mind is just like that event delegates in a desktop, uh, they are all getting their own notification of the event and they're happening in parallel. So you can't make order assumptions on that. And if one fails, it's not going to block the others. You know, they're going to be independent push events that happen. And uh, But you can have an unlimited number that, that, that you choose. T- today in our preview, we do limit you to a thousand. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of HTTP push to be listening to. <laughs> Only a thousand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> per. <laughs> um, so what is the uh, what is the latency on something like this? The latency is pretty fast. We're actually using some pretty cool new toys that we've never used for anything in, in Azure yet, uh, which we'll probably talk about more in the future. But um, but what we see, generally speaking, is in the uh, about 40, 50 millisecond and 10 latency standpoint. So from the time the webhook comes into us, whether it's your webhook or storages, to the time we've actually pushed to you uh, to your webhook, uh, we're generally under 40 milliseconds right now. Okay. And that in, in that 40 milliseconds, that's like, I think you mentioned this, I mean, that's reliable, right? So yeah, the first thing we yeah. do is triple replicate. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So what kind of guarantee do I have that my event is going to get delivered? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, so why we do the triple replication first is we guarantee we are going to push for 24 hours uh, on an exponential back off starting within 10 seconds. If you don't act the message, meaning you don't 200 okay or 202. Uh, so we will start pushing again uh, repeatedly. I think it's like 10 seconds, 30 seconds, one minute, 
five minutes, 30 minutes, and then once an hour for 24 hours. At the end of 24 hours, we will start to drop events. Uh, so if your endpoint, if your service has been down for a day, we will start to drop events. And hence why we're looking at putting event hubs as a destination so that you can have something that'll ah, hold your yeah. data for longer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the, the yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. How much scale does this thing have? Yeah, this is a good one. Um, we, <laughs> we actually noticed that our in, our internal scale metrics ended up in a public presentation. Um, so <laughs> they're out there now. Um, we were all a little surprised by that. I wondered if someone had broken an NDA or something, and then I was like, no, nope, no, nope, that was just that was just an accident. Uh, and so our design is for uh, sustaining... Uh, like with a constant sustaining load of uh, 10 million pushes per second per region in Azure um, and the ability to support at least 100 million subscriptions per region. So those are the, the things you're interested in. We want to be able to support at least 100 million of those things per region, uh, which the structure we're using, I mentioned the prefix thing before. It doesn't take too much imagination to figure out what that really is. It's tree. So we're getting you know pretty good lookup mm. time here. It's, it's big O of log event. So all we need to do is add more machines to be able to scale more. But that our, our get started target was was those numbers. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. I love I love hearing those. So does Event Grid uh, coming online make any of the uh, previous messaging uh, technologies obsolete? That's a really good question, actually, and it's and it's, and it's pretty funny because all the other messaging technologies are, are <laughs> in my area too. So I've had a few people be like, "Well, now I don't need to use Service Bus," and it's like, "Well." Think about that very carefully. Um, yeah. I would say that there are people using uh, things like Service Bus today that probably won't need to use it in the future. Um, that is that is certainly true. But that also is giving us an ability to dial in Service Bus to really focus on that business state transition, that enterprise messaging space, and to do that better than it's been able to do it yet. Because right now it's trying to support too many different diverse use cases. And now that we don't have to support people in this type of use case we can actually make some really good improvements for features that people want in an enterprise messaging system. So yeah, I, I don't think it makes anything obsolete. I think it does change the mix of which services you might use in your application. So, largely because you'd mentioned that the, the durability <laughs> thing, this is still reliable. So it's not like one's reliable, one's not. So you pick it that way. It really just depends on what you're doing. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the the next question is I know I know is one that Jason always loves asking, so I made sure I threw this in here. Uh, how how much is this going to cost us? Ah, yes. Actually, uh, this is the other way where this fits in with serverless, and I'm not sure I totally agree with people using this aspect to define something as serverless. Is the pay per execution model, um, and so this is really a pay per execution service. So when events come in to event uh, grid. Like, and they all, that only happens when you've expressed intent to get events, meaning you've created a subscription. Uh, then we go turn on those events from the publisher, like storage. Uh, you, you will get charged for that, and then you get charged as we deliver them. Um, and those operations are, uh, the GA price for them is $0.60 cents per million, and you get the first 100000 free. 
and in preview it's half price very cool very cool um so anything anything on the roadmap that you want to share like what what's coming up next yeah i think uh i think i already mentioned that event hubs is coming up next um mm-hmm. i don't know if i was really supposed to say that but that's okay um, <laughs> that's mine exclusive. Too, so I, yeah that's exclusive mine too, for so the MSW yeah. show you heard it here first um <laughs> and then uh, we actually have a pipeline of publishers that are all coming uh, since there are other services, I won't advertise which they are, mm-hmm. but uh, one that is coming very, very quickly is uh, Azure Automation, which has been working with us for a long time as a destination. So when you look at where these events go today, we have really a first-class experience within the portal, within the tooling for large gaps and for functions. Um, and there's one coming also for Azure Automation. Okay. So I was just thinking like... Um Whenever you look at logic apps today, I mean, part of that is like, hey, when this happens, go do this thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, have you thought about like what the you know what what the guidance is? Like, when do I use each? I'm guessing you know since yours yours is more of like a, a you know a simple eventing system, yeah. it seems like logic app. You know, once you run into a wall, then you probably introduce logic apps after that. I think once you're doing more than one step, then yeah. you probably want a logic app. And actually, a lot of these same things actually composed together better than any of them do individually. A great example is actually service bus queues with event grid and lodge gaps. Uh, Service bus is coming as an event publisher very soon. um, And it seems maybe counterintuitive at first to think, well, why would I want my queue to tell me when there are messages in the queue? Um, And our plan is to tell you when there are messages in the queue and you're not listening to the queue. So you're not connected to it. So if you're already connected, you're doing like long polling, you'll find out before you could even get a notification. You'll just push the event, the, right. the message, I mean, immediately. But if you're not listening, well, you you probably would like to take that opportunity to start a listener. A perfect example being a logic app to say, well, wake this, when things land in this queue, wake this logic app up so it doesn't have to sit there and do long polling in the background. And then go run my workflow that is my logic app that is probably going to do multiple steps and give you sort of the durability you expect from from multi-step workflows stuff. That's a neat feature of the service, right? It seems like uh, almost all of Azure is going to get better, even if I don't use EventGrid itself. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of it you won't see that's going to be happening behind the scenes uh, that okay. will make portal experiences better, will make backend experiences better, make provisioning experiences better. And uh, that's that's what we're driving towards. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, anything else that you wanted to mention that we didn't ask you a question about? Ooh. <laughs> uh, usually, uh, the, no, actually, never mind. Uh, okay. Usually the question <laughs> comes up about event hubs and event grid, and they both say the word event in them, but um, they really are meant for different things. So Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think, I think it's pretty obvious that, yeah, there's, there's just a, a different use case for each thing. And so I guess the, the question, the obvious question then is like all, all three of those things, right? Service bus, event hubs, and event grid are here to stay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to, I want to make sure everybody feel better about that. This isn't, this isn't like, you know, start ripping out your, you know, your old code and replace with this. Cause this is, this is a different use case and make sure you understand the ideal use case for each of those three things uh, before you make a decision as to which one you're going to use, because they are designed for different uses. Yeah. And I guess the, the last thing I'd throw out real quick is if yep. you start playing with uh, event grid, it's pretty cool to go look at the way it works with ARM to, or the resource manager in Azure to, to how it's structured as in resource extension, we call it, so that when you want to turn on EventGrid for storage, you don't go to EventGrid, you go to storage. And the experience is really natural, and the ARM path actually shows EventGrid as a provider under the storage account. So it's it's really, really cool model, actually. Oh, I, that's cool. 
I didn't come up with that, so that's someone else's. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so let's move on. Carl, what do you have for the Azure pick of the week? Or uh, is this what I have? <laughs> I, no, I, I picked this one, and it uh, okay. we, we covered it briefly before, but uh, Azure Blob Storage events are now in preview. And uh, mm-hmm. like Dan said, it reacting to the creation and deletion of blobs uh, without having to pull that ourselves. So that's really cool. So go check it out. Okay, and then Dan, you probably remember this, but I need you to pick a number between one and four inclusive. Three. Three. Okay. <sighs> what the? Okay. I think we had this one already, but I didn't cross it off. So we'll do it again. While on a camping trip, trip, would you rather wake up with ants in your nose and ears or with a toe in your mouth from someone else who is also sleeping in your tent? Ooh, that is a great set of choices. <laughs> I'll probably now are they fire ants? <laughs> no, just regular ants. Just regular ants. Yeah. They're not like chocolate covered ants or something. <laughs> no. Okay, I'll go like, ants. They're like ants. You're going to pick the ants? Yep. Here's the thing, though. Like, you know, they're in this person's in my tent, right? Like, I don't know, Dan. I don't, I can't see like you and I camping anytime soon, right? So, like, it's not going to be my toe and, and I'm not going to have your, <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to keep going down that line of thinking. But my point is that it's like probably my family. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, it's probably somebody you know. You know, maybe, maybe a significant other, something like that. So I do do kendo, man. I have some gnarly toes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's a, that's, that's enough information on that one. Carl, pick a number. I'll take number one. Number one. Would you rather eat a cooked beaver tail or a cooked cow udder? Uh, (laughs) Beaver tail sounds kind of leathery and hard. So I'd have to go with the udder. It's probably a delicacy somewhere. Probably. You should know this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why are the yeah. kids eating cow waters these days? <laughs> I don't know. It could become a thing. <laughs> oh, this was this was the worst question of the week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so let's move on. So, Dan, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, usually. Okay. At Dan Rosano. Okay. Perfect. Nice and simple. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Dan, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about EventGrid. This is this is an exciting uh, technology that I just, I feel like it's going to just become part of almost everything I do in Azure. Cool. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. 